Good morning, everyone. And um, hi to everyone in Facebook land back there. I, uh, oh, we're not? Oh, no, because I put on my status, like, I'm preaching this morning, and if you're listening, come follow us. We'll be on live. And I was really secretly hoping some friends from Hong Kong would be listening. So I say Hong Kong. It's all good. The thing is, you have like a straight passage to heaven if you're here this morning. You heard that on the email, right? No, please don't quote me on that. It's not true. Anyway, for those of you that don't know, I mentioned Hong Kong because I'm from Hong Kong. I was born there and I grew up there. And on uh, one of my visits back with my family, uh, my husband went out for drinks with my brother and his friends. And, uh, and one of the bars where he was out, right outside there was a couple having an argument and this guy was just yelling at this woman and just being really nasty to her and at that moment Mike my husband turns to one of my brother's friends and says something about how he never gets involved in relationship disputes and just as he says that this guy slaps this woman across the face and um, my brother's wife steps in and gets between them and says hey you can't do that and as she does that, the guy goes in to just grab her. And Mike decides that he should go and save her. And he intercepts. He stands right between them, grabs the guy, throws him to the ground. This guy scrambles up, rips his shirt open <laughs> like the Hulk. Listen, I am not even exaggerating. I'm not done yet. Rips his shirt open to reveal this giant dragon tattoo across his chest. <laughs> and so um, then everyone sees this happening. They step back and all form this circle around Mike and this dragon tattoo man, like the movies. And he's beating his chest. And Mike's just waiting for him to take a swing at him, you know, just <laughs> waiting for him. And then the, the police show up almost immediately. So as Mike's telling me this story, I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, first night back in Hong Kong and you're picking fights on the street? You are going to get sent back to the US. This is it. And he's, he's telling me this story, but he's overjoyed. He's like, I haven't done anything wrong, you know? I, I was being a hero, saving your friend's wife. So anyway, the police officer um, stands between Mike and this guy. And Mike keeps pointing at this guy and telling the officer what he did. And this guy keeps beating his tattooed chest and yelling back. And, and the police officer just stands calmly between them. And Mike's like, why aren't you doing anything? And the officer turns back at him, points at the curbside and says, you, sit there. So Mike sheepishly follows and is thinking, why, is it, why isn't anyone doing anything? Why isn't anyone arresting this crazy dragon tattoo man? And that's when it hits me that Dragon Tattoo Man was probably a member of the Triads. Now, the Triads are the Chinese Mafia, and the Dragon Tattoo on his chest was probably a symbol of the Triad Gang that, that he belonged to. And everybody must have known this when they formed that circle. Everyone watching must have known, the police officer must have known, everyone except for my husband, <laughs> Captain America. Anyway, long story short, Mike snuck away from all the commotion. And when he was telling me the story, I told him off repeatedly, told him how bad it couldn't 
could have gone, you know, messing with the triads. And he didn't care. He was like, everyone was high-fiving me when I went from bar to bar that night. Everyone recognized him and, and commenting on what a stellar job he did. <laughs> Insert eye roll emoji here. Seriously. Anyway, I've never come between an argument like that before. Like Mike thought, before uh, my brother's friend got, in, got dragged in, I've always thought it was best to just stay out of it. Stay out of disputes and arguments. Someone else, perhaps more qualified, should be dealing with the situation and they'd handle it, right? Whether it's an argument between spouses or a disruption between two strangers on the street like Ben. Or even a parent dealing with a, with a child's meltdown. Just stay out of it. In fact, I'll stand over here, sip my tea and mind my own business. I'm not getting into that. In fact, that's pretty much what I'd been taught growing up. Just stay out of it. Did anyone else grow up that way, told to mind their own business? Yeah. I feel like we teach kids the opposite these days. Or maybe a combination of both. Stand up to bullies or just walk away. I was just told that someone else would take care of it. I'm not to play hero. So we just read the Gospel of Matthew's recount of Jesus' encounter with Pilate. Pilate was in the middle of a fight between the Jews and the followers of of Jesus. He had to make the final call on what to do with Jesus. He was minding his own business, hearing about the conflict unfolding between the Jews and Pharisees and the followers of Jesus, and it became his business when the Jews demanded Pilate sentence Jesus to be crucified. But why Pilate? Who was he? Why include this exchange in so much detail in the Bible? So Pilate was the prefect of Judea. A prefect is someone who's a leader of an administrative region, like a governor. So side note, there were actually prefects in my school growing up. Were there prefects in yours, Hannah? Yeah, so you know. So, um, so you had to be voted in to be a prefect when you were a senior. It was basically a popularity contest. Sadly, I never became a prefect, but I was a bus prefect, which is like the pity prefect badge that they hand out. For an entire semester, I governed Bus 11. <laughs> so Pilate, being the prefect of Judea, had to show the Roman officials that he had the favor amongst the Judean people. So Bus 11, a Roman empire, it's all a popularity contest, right? So when Jesus is first brought to Pilate, Pilate begins questioning him and asks, are you the king of the Jews? To which he answers, it is as you say. Guys, What kind of Yoda answer is that? (laughs) Like seriously, why be so vague? Either say you are or say you aren't. And Pilate gives him another chance, even asking him, did you even hear all the charges that have been stacked up against you? But Jesus responds with nothing, not one word. So why does he bother asking? Why does he keep pressing on? What does Pilate have on the line? Pilate being in politics, wanted to show the Roman government that he was capable of doing his job. He wanted to show that he could manage the Judeans, a group of people with different sets of values, different belief system. Like any other politician, even today, what he was doing, all his actions were paving towards political advancement. His promotion was on the line here. If he acted on his conscience, doing what he thought was morally and legally right, he would lose favor amongst the Jews. They would protest and it would look as though he didn't have control over the people of Judea. 
and that just wouldn't make him look good in the eyes of the Roman officials. It wasn't an easy choice to make. Ideally, if he did what was just and what was right, that would be great, but his, the stakes were too high. He felt the need to investigate further, maybe even to justify the decision he was about to make. So Pilate goes back to the Jews and he presents them with a choice of another prisoner, Barabbas, a notorious prisoner. I'm talking notorious like El Chapo notorious. And he says that he'll release one of them and the choice is theirs. He's trying to negotiate with the Jews because he just doesn't understand why Jesus should be put to death. He presents a prisoner who has done much worse than Jesus, but they still don't take. Even his wife feels uneasy about the raw deal that Jesus is about to get. And she appeals to Pilate, saying that she had bad dreams about this all night and Pilate should just stay out of it. But in the end, the Jews ask for the release of Barabbas over Jesus and Jesus to be crucified. Pilate asks them why, because Jesus hasn't committed a crime, but the crowd is after his blood. Let him be crucified is all they answer back. So Pilate denies any responsibility over the blood shed of an innocent man, even ceremoniously washing his hands. And the Jews then claim responsibility and say that his blood, let his blood be on us and our children. And I feel like there's a whole other sermon there, but we're not going to get into it, I promise. Jesus is handed to the Roman soldiers and you know how the rest of the story goes. So this exchange is a little different in the Gospel of John. In John, Pilate really takes the time to go back and forth between the Jewish leaders and Jesus, trying to seek answers. He hears from the Jews that they cannot order the execution of someone because of their own Jewish law. They need Pilate to carry out the order. So let's think about this for a moment. So you're telling me that basically, because of your law, You can't have someone executed for something that you perceive as a crime, but instead you will seek outside jurisdiction to carry out that execution, even though in that outside jurisdiction, no law has been broken. You love all that legal talk I just had there? I should have been a lawyer, right? (laughs) Do you see now why Pilate was facing a dilemma? He just couldn't understand why there was a need for Jesus to be killed when no crime had been committed. I'll bet Pilate knew just how ridiculous it was. But in knowing that his promotion was on the line, he needed to press further to find another reason to have Jesus sentenced to death. What I find interesting from this exchange is how differently Pilate is conveyed in the different gospels. In Matthew, he very quickly gives in to the Jews. In John, he has more of a back and forth between the Jews and Jesus. I also found that in his questioning with Jesus, it looks a lot like the conversation you might have with your therapist, where instead of answering your questions, they lead you back to to find answers yourself. So Jesus brings the question back to Pilate. Instead of Jesus being questioned, Pilate is being questioned. Jesus is steering Pilate to seek truth for himself. And Pilate has to decide which side to take the side of the prisoner who has done no wrong according to the law, the side of truth, or the side of the Jews who want blood, who want to get rid of the man who claims to be the son of God. I believe Pilate knew the truth. He knew the truth about Jesus through his wife who tried to stop him. He knew the truth about Jesus because even later on in the gospel of John, he has the Roman soldiers fasten a sign 
on the top of the cross that reads, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Even when the Jewish leaders ask him to change it because Jesus only claimed to be the King of the Jews, Pilate believes it and leaves it as that. He believes that Jesus really is the promised King. And in the passage we read earlier, he physically washes his hands because he doesn't want the responsibility over killing the potential promised king. He absolutely knew the truth about who Jesus was. Even in searching for truth in his long exchange with Jesus and knowing the truth, Pilate still chooses to side with the Jews because he fears what might happen if he didn't. If he didn't, there would be civil unrest which doesn't make him look good to the Roman officials. It would look as though he didn't know what he was doing, his authority not respected, and he would then be unable to advance ranks. So he chooses selfishly. He chooses the path of least resistance, the path that makes him look good, the path that will give him favor to both the people of Judea and to Caesar. I've done that, prayed, and sought truth about making the right choice. And even when knowing which the right choice would be, knowing what was truly good in my life, I have chosen against it because this other path made more sense to me. The other choice would be easier, would be more beneficial for me, would give me the results that I want faster. And then I convinced myself this other path that I have chosen, I convinced myself that that was the better path even though I knew that it might not have been the best choice in the long term. I, like Pilate, usually made these decisions because I'm a people pleaser at heart. I pretty much do what I think people want me to do. When my dad passed away several years ago, I decided to abandon my life in Australia where I had a stable job and just been offered a promotion and stay with my family in Hong Kong to work in my father's business and help my family adjust. Part of me was guilty for not being there when my dad was around, but mostly I stayed because I wanted to please my family. Also, a part of me, my my ego, wanted to be the helper, even a hero, to save my family from further grief. But the opposite happened. It set off a two-year-long downward spiral of depression, alcohol abuse, jumping from one relationship to the next. And then to make matters worse, it completely wrecked the relationship I had with my family. I blamed them for everything that went wrong because they had forced me to stay. See how it changed from it being my choice to pleasing them to now I was being forced to stay? Like Pilate had washed his hands of any responsibility, I refused to take responsibility for any of my actions over those years. Instead, I blamed everything on my family forcing me to stay. I denied that it was my ego that had me stay, my ego in thinking that I could save my family. My presence was not helpful to them, and it wasn't helpful to me at all. Looking back on that time, I wish I had just left earlier and listened to people telling me to leave this toxic situation. Like Pilate's wife had warned him, my friends had warned me. They'd even seen the change in my behavior, the unhealthy habits that I'd developed and the lack of direction that I had. They saw the light in me start to fade and I was on 
autopilot, just functioning, but not living. But I had ignored the truth that they were trying to speak into my life. And when we do that, we are denying our true self. And we're denying what our true self deserves, which is to live and to flourish. Instead, we become dead inside. And then when we realize, when we seek truth, as Pilate did, when we question, when we discern, but we still don't act on it, that to me was like living my own personal hell. It took two years of ignorance before I realized I had dug a hole for myself and I was living my own personal hell. After two years, I finally took my friend's warnings to heart and like Pilate, I questioned. I questioned what I was doing. I sought prayer. I sought truth. I even left for a few months and it was so clear to me that I couldn't stay in Hong Kong anymore. But when I came back, it was like I was paralyzed with fear of what might happen. Like Pilate, I feared. My fear of starting somewhere else paralyzed me. The fear of disappointing my family paralyzed me. The fear of failing and then maybe having to come back again paralyzed me. I had gotten comfortable in this situation despite how unhealthy it was, despite my relationship with my family slowly deteriorating, and despite the love and respect I had for myself slowly deteriorating, I had gotten comfortable because I was afraid of what might happen after. Even knowing, like Pilate did, I still ignored my instinct. I had ignored my hurting self. I ignored the Holy Spirit inside me, pressing me to leave. I ignored the people around me, shedding light into my actions. I ignored the choice to live, and as a result, chose paralysis, chose fear, chose to turn my back on what I knew was truly good for me. I betrayed myself. This choice I had made to stay killed the spirit of God inside me. And unlike Jesus rising again after three days, it took several years for me to find God again and to find my confidence again, to find love and respect for myself again. I was in the cycle like Pilate of going away, questioning, finding truth, and then not having the courage to choose what was right and betraying myself. I was trapped in the need to please my family and deny what my true self needed. And I was once again walking dead. Sometimes when we choose to act selfishly or we make decisions that are potentially harmful to ourselves and others, we silence the Holy Spirit inside us. Pilate knew what he was doing, but he silenced his wife's warnings. He silenced his instincts and chose selfishly to advance himself politically, silencing his innermost sense of fairness and justice, there are consequences for that. Because when we choose to act out of selfishness, instead of bringing shalom, the complete opposite happens. Because we aren't meant to live like this. We aren't meant to be living in a place where we are hurting ourselves and hurting others. You have to choose the life where not only you are growing, and flourishing, but so are the people around you, even if it means that you have to take a step back. So I want to ask you, 
Are you walking dead because of the choices or decisions that you've made? Are you walking dead in a job that is wearing down your soul? Are you in a friendship that is sucking the life out of you? Are you in a relationship that is toxic where neither of you are growing and flourishing, but instead you're hurting? Are you in a place where you feel stuck and feel paralyzed, but you continue to walk in this place because you fear what might happen if you take a step back? Have people in your life warned you and are you listening to them? Or have you made yourself accountable to people? That's what community is for. That's what we are here for. That's what small groups are for. But you have to, we're here so that we can carry this burden with you, but you have to open up to us. And if this is you, I want to invite you to come up at the end of service and let us pray with you and walk with you as you question and seek truth. The truth that God would not want this for you. But maybe you're sitting there and you aren't in that place. Maybe life is going pretty well for you right now. But you know someone that is in that place. You know someone that is making decisions or, or their actions are hurting themselves or hurting the people around them. But you haven't had the courage to say anything. They might be caught up in addiction, in an abusive relationship, or they might be caught up in a lifestyle that is hurting them or the people around them. You've had a hard time watching your friend walk through this and you've slowly seen their light get dimmer and dimmer and you don't know how to tell them. Like Pilate's wife, you think of their situation and it simmers in your mind. You might even have a hard time sleeping because of it. I want to encourage you to prayerfully ask God to give you the words to say to them. Even if it's to say, I'm here, I see you. You are loved and whenever you are ready, I am here. I am here to walk with you so you don't feel paralyzed by the fear of not knowing what might happen should you decide to walk away from this situation. I am here. I am here to walk with you whatever you decide. Prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to speak truth into their life that they are worthy of more. As for my story, I wish I could tell you that after I moved here, everything was perfect. My confidence was restored, my relationship with God restored, my relationship with my family restored, but it's a work in progress. It always will be, let's face it, it's family. And I'm okay with it because now I'm in a place where I'm encouraged to seek truth in every situation and to choose what's good for my inner self. Brene Brown says, here's what I think integrity is. It's choosing courage over comfort, choosing what's right over what's fun, fast, or easy, and practicing your values. Now, I choose to make the decisions where life and love flourish, to give voice to the Holy Spirit through my actions and standing up for myself and others. Now I choose to live and I know I'm in a community that will always walk with me, that will carry my burden with me, that they see me and that I am loved. Let's pray, guys. Dear God, I'm thankful for your love for us. I'm thankful that you don't expect us to make perfect choices. 
I'm thankful that you love us through our struggles and you meet us where we need you most. I ask you, God, to allow the Holy Spirit to move us to question things when they don't seem right, when the decisions we are making aren't going to bring shalom or make us flourish. Remind us, God, of the life that you intended for us, the life that we deserve. Remind us, God, that we are worthy of so much more. And if we are too stubborn to listen, send a friend, God. Send us community who can be a reminder of what it looks like to have shalom in our life, who can remind us of our worth and remind us that we are meant to be living a better life than this. In your name we pray, amen.